Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to WebRush. This is episode 166. And we're finishing out the year with a return visit from our guest, Santosh Yadev. But today, it's all about my co-host, Ward Bell. Ward Bell, you're celebrating something amazing right now, aren't you? I am, John? What is that? What am I celebrating? It sounded like you were celebrating that you just made this great big purchase of an Apple M1 Pro laptop. Oh, well, you know, that's embarrassing. Um, because do we really need a computer in the first place? I think that's the question. Uh, put us out, put us out of our misery, put all of the developers out of our misery, just throw your computer in the ocean. Let's go back to paper and pencil and life will be glorious or maybe not. Okay. So, so, uh, uh, yes, I am upgrading from my, uh, MacBook pro Intel version to the M one, uh, MacBook pro. Um, and it's a heck of a lot of money, John. It really is. Uh, it's, it's an absurd amount of money. And, and we're, we're in the fortunate position to be able to do the upgrade, but I assume you took advantage of the trade-in that they had with that. I did. And they give you a uh, quite a lot of value if you have, uh, 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 you know, a previous machine that was, you know, functioning perfectly well. I've always found their trade-ins to be pretty good. I mean, their, their trade-ins yeah, aren't they're remarkable. too bad. And I don't have to go on eBay or do any of that stuff. And um, yeah, and, but the thing is, I just got tired of the pinwheels on Chrome and the, uh, the fan blowing up for anything and stuff crapping out just, you know, and I am very hopeful that that will not happen to me when my when my uh, uh, 2021 MacBook M1 MacBook arrives sometime in, later this decade. Yeah, it does sound like they're they're way on back order. So I'm kind of for, foreshadowing here. Uh, hopefully, you'll have that MacBook sometime in the next couple of months. <laughs> it would be <laughs> nice. All these- uh, you have one, right, John? You love it, right? Yeah, I, I ordered one about two months ago, and I just got it, uh, and I just finished installing it, and I love it. I just I can't remember a day when I've been a developer when I've been able to use it for video or even just you know Node or Docker things that are more intensive, or even just opening up Slack for that matter, an Electron app, and not have the fan spin and the thing light my legs on fire. Uh, and it's not. It's cool. And it's yeah, quiet. yeah. It, it will be nice to to put it on your lap. You're right. You put it on your lap, and uh, it will. You won't have a burn when you're done. Okay. So enough Apple love. My God, are they a sponsor? Are they a sponsor of our webcast? Is Apple a sponsor? Well, they should be. <laughs> Let's our, get our guest in here. Speaking of today's guest, uh, our today's guest has quite a few accomplishments out there, and he's done quite a bit. Um, since our last conversation. So, Santosh, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks. for Let me tell a little bit about you to our audience. So, Santosh is a GDE for Angular. That's a Google developer expert. He's a GitHub star and an Auth0 ambassador, and he loves contributing to Angular and NGRX. He works as a software consultant and writes for indepth.dev, 
He's also the author of NGX Builders Package and part of the Nest.js add-ons core team. And he runs Tech Talks with Santosh Talk Show, where he invites the industry experts to discuss different technologies. One thing you'll find in common throughout a lot of what I just read about Santosh is he contributes a lot on GitHub. Like, I mean, like a lot. And I, I think that's what a GitHub star, that, that's kind of where they came from. So tell us, is that, what is a GitHub star, Santosh? Actually, sir, it's a program for, by GitHub. So it was launched back in uh, March 2020. I remember the day. So uh, I remember the month, sorry. So uh, it was it was a program to actually uh, recognize the developers who are contributing to open source, teaching the community. So I was fortunate enough to become the first one from India. That's impressive. And is it for contributions that you do or for teaching or for like, how, how do you become a GitHub star? Uh, so it's it's a it's a uh, like community can nominate you. So there, if you go to stars.github.com, you will find a link where uh, you can you can also nominate anyone. Uh, the only thing is Microsoft employees are not in, eligible. So <laughs> uh, so anyone from the community can actually go ahead and nominate you based on your contributions. And once like you have like enough nominations, uh, they will send you a link where you can actually go ahead and submit your profile. And then it takes like the one month to three months. Uh, last, I mean, I've seen people waiting for even six months, seven months, because we had like, uh, the program had so many uh, nominations in last year. So it, it was delayed by seven to eight months as well. And once it is shortlisted and approved, you become a GitHub star. So I think there are close to 90 right now. And uh, it's uh, the good thing about this program is after three years, you cannot be GitHub star, but you you'll be part of Illumini. So after three years, oh okay, yeah. So you can be just GitHub star for three years, and then you'll become part of their Illumina, and then that's it. That's pretty cool. And looking at these programs, like I, I'm definitely very impressed with a lot of the contributions that you've made throughout your bio. And I, you know, I followed you on Twitter and other social media for a while. Uh, as Ward and I and the other co-hosts of the show were talking for a bit uh, behind the scenes about, you know, we think it's time to talk to people again about what it's like to create your first contributions on GitHub and how it is to get into open source. Does anybody remember that? You know, it's just, it's the things that we forget because we've been doing it so long, but there's so many new people coming into this world in this industry. Uh, we thought, you know, who better to talk to everybody about and advise everybody than you. So tell us, well, what is it like? Like what, what kind of advice do you have for people coming in to create their contributions these days? Uh, so recently, I have seen a lot of young students are actually contributing to open source a lot, especially from India. I'm really proud of it. I have seen uh, some of the students who are still in final year and they are uh, like contributing to Webpack. When one of uh, these students I know, he's a maintainer for Webpack and uh, ESLint as well. So, I mean, they are just doing amazing thing. I mean, I, whenever I see them, I just feel like, oh my God, what, what, what I was doing at their age, I was doing nothing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can see a lot of, uh, uh, you can say open source advocates are putting a lot of time and effort to teach the community that how you can start contributing to open source and it is paying off. I can see, uh, I mean, you also know the data from the GitHub last year, right? So India was one of the uh, country with most number of contributions and it is the numbers are numbers are still growing so that's that's the amazing thing i mean everyone doing great job teaching the community and uh, those students are actually 
now they are, they have taken the interest in teaching as well. So I've seen them also uh, teaching other students how you can contribute to open source and uh, how you can become part of any uh, open source project as well. Now, why would somebody want to make a contribution to GitHub? Like, what? T- tell us about this. Like, what drives people to do that? If somebody out there is thinking about why would I want to do that, or, or you know, I work at a company and I'm a developer, I'm a technologist, I'm a manager, uh, whatever these. Um, different roles are out there, people who aren't contributing, some of them aren't contributing for various reasons, but why would you recommend that they should get involved in that? I mean, uh, so it, it, it pays in a different way. So for for, for example, uh, for me, the motivation not, was not anything. I mean, the motivation was to just give back to the community because uh, when I started contributing to open source, I had already, I mean, I was earning enough money. So money was not a problem, but I have seen a lot of young students, they are making contribution to open source so they can get internship. There are a lot of internship opportunities you can get by contributing to open source. It's not like older days where you have to like complete your engineering and then look for a job. I have seen students who just passed out of the college and because they have already uh, made so many contributions to open source, they, they even uh, got placed, they got, got even jobs because uh, the internship they have done, the work they have done, they like uh, now now I've seen uh, in past few years, a lot of students are actually contributing via GSOC, Google's uh, Summer of Code. And the good thing is, a good thing about uh, GSOC is it's now open for everyone. So even you are a like developer, you can still go ahead and apply for GSOC next year. It will open in 2022. Apart from uh, money, I mean, I've seen people doing it for money as well, right? I mean, you can, of course, uh, make a career out of it, though not, not, you know, not a lot of developers are successful in doing that. But yeah, some are there who are actually doing, uh, making uh, enough money to like full contribute full time to the open source projects they do. And uh, I think uh, the other one is, uh, to grow your career as well, because when I started contributing, my my whole motivation was to give back to the community. But but of course, it was to learn as well, because at job, sometimes we get stuck. I mean, we won't be using. Let's say, if, even if I'm using Angular, I won't be using everything in Angular, and that's where it, it feels like oh now you are stuck. What what should I do? So that's where where I started contributing to open source to learn more. So. I, I get to know about the new APIs which are available, how you can actually uh, make something, make tools out of it. So those are the things, yeah. Hey, John, I have this great idea for a mobile app. I want to use native features like the camera, photo gallery, and geolocation, but I just don't have the time to learn a new language like Swift. Yeah, but you do know JavaScript and web tech like React, Angular, and Vue, right? I do, but how does that help me? Well, if you use the Ionic framework, you can use your JavaScript skills and you get fully styled iOS and Android mobile components. Plus, it uses the capacitor to talk to all the native device platforms. So if I use Ionic and capacitor, I don't have to learn a new language. My JavaScript skills give me what I need to build a cross-platform app. Absolutely. And you can check it out at ionic.link slash webrush. I'll do it. So Santosh, that's great. You, you mentioned something I hadn't heard of before called the Google Summer of Code. Uh, can you describe a little bit about what that is? So Google Summer of Code is uh, the annual program for from uh, Google itself. So it's like uh, if you have an open source project, I mean, so you can actually become part of Google Summer of Code. And uh, earlier it used to be only for students. 
So as a student, you can apply for Google Summer of Code. You can like get mentor mentorship from the maintainers of those open source projects, and you can also contribute. So for next six months. So now the good thing about uh, uh, GSOP now is they realize that okay, students are not only uh, the uh, the batch which we are looking at because there are a lot of developers who are still working in the industry. But they don't contribute to open source because they like lack guidance, guidance, or they don't know how to do it. So they have now just opened for everyone. So even I mean, any one of us can apply for uh, GSOC, and uh, they they have list of project. It has Angular as well, and you can apply for this. You you can get mentorship, and uh, they will help you to actually work on the uh, framework itself. And I think it's it goes as I said, it goes for next six months, but uh, you. It, uh, to apply for GSOC, I think they have some requirement that you sh- you still have some idea about open source and you have done a little bit of it. That that does sound pretty interesting. But what, let's say somebody's still thinking about doing this. Uh, there's got to be some base knowledge, like yeah. right. How, how does I've forgotten where to where to start with a lot of this? To be honest, and Ward, I don't know about you either, but where do you start? Like somebody wants to get going with creating their first pull request, where would you recommend they go? I mean. We're throwing out words like pull request and GitHub and what is this? And John, before we get, I mean, that's a really important question, but I want to back up just one little second uh, to, to ask, you know, there are there are varieties of open source project, right? Like, I mean, I, for one thing, I wasn't quite sure. Did you mean that in order to do this, you're making open source, com- you're making commitments to, to GitHub itself, which is open source or to existing GitHub open source projects, or are you talking about creating your own open source project, or all of the above? Uh, is is it all those three possibilities that you're referring to? I mean, as a part of GSOC, you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, no, GSOC. GSOC is like uh, they already uh, they onboard the maintain uh, the projects. So I mean, I, I have seen it has Angular, it has uh, Julia Lang. It has a few more like frameworks, libraries, which which whichever like wants to be part of this particular uh, program, right? So GSOC program, and then you can apply for uh, whichever project you are interested in. Okay, so GSOC has a basket of open source projects that you can participate in. So if I just want to do, <clears throat> you know, I, I was a um, MVP. I got my Microsoft MVP in Minesweeper. So, uh, uh, and I really, but I don't think that I could make Minesweeper a GSOC open source project. It would have to be one of the ones that they yes, offer us. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Now it's clear to me. So you go to, G- go to the GSOC and you say, hey, that's a project that they endorse that I would like to contribute to. Now I am calibrated and I now I can understand John's question about like, okay, uh, I've I found a project that I would like to contribute to. What's the best way to do it? That's your question, right, John? Yeah. I mean, where do you start? You've got some idea for some code. Either you want to make your own project or you want to contribute to somebody else's, but you have to know a lot of things beyond having a computer. What, what is what is step one? So the step one is, of course, you should have an idea about Git and uh, just learn the basic commands, like Git pull, Git push, how you can do so, so let's let's start there. What's the difference between Git and GitHub? We talked about these two things. I mean, what's... What is it? Are they the same thing? What are they? No, actually, yeah. So uh, the Git is Git. It's a client. So it it is used to actually connect to any uh, like so a repository which you have, right? So GitHub is one of the uh, repository which is available for 
and you can also of course connect to GitLab or whichever like let's if you are using TFS so any anything so Git client is of course required and then you can connect to GitHub so GitHub is where your code resides and Git client is actually to uh, make modifications to push your code to get, get anything from uh, GitHub so that's your client part so first of course you need to install the client so that's that's Git. And after that, okay. So now I'm a little confused. Do I do I have to use that client, or can I, or do it in the command line? You know, because I'm old school and I like to use flint knives. Or can I use VS Code, which has a very good uh, Git and GitHub integration? It, so is that particular tool required, or or is it the tool of my choice? So Git client, uh, of course, is required. But of course, after that, you can choose oh. whatever you need. So. Uh, a lot of us now has become like a master, so you can use, of course, the C CLI, right? But uh, when I was not that uh, confident about using CLI, I used to use GitHub Desktop. It's it's pretty much has all the functionality which you need. But of course, nowadays it becomes really easier to like full push, resolve com uh, conflicts, everything from the CLI itself. Or you can just use the VS Code, right? I mean, it also has integration with uh, Git, so <laughs> you can just do that. But Git client is, but that's the requirement. It, that's a, a separate, that, and so that Git client is just, hmm, I've never even heard of it, honestly. So I, is, it a, is it obvious where I go get it? Uh, yeah, actually, it's, it's available, right? So you can... I thought I was pretty good with Git, but I guess I'm not. There's all this stuff. Are we referring to the link uh, git-scm.com? Scm.com, yeah, exactly. That's where you can download the link. So this 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 is actually a really great point that Ward brings up. Like we've been doing Git for so long, Ward. In a lot of ways, we forget about this. And when you get it, so when you get your Mac, we talked about you having a Mac. Uh, one of the things that's automatically installed in a lot of these is a version of Git that Apple provides on the machine that you get with terminal. You get Git. GIT <laughs> with your Mac in your terminal. And I forget which version that they provide you, but you can also download this for Linux, Mac, or Windows right off of a website at git-scm.com. And then all the tools that we mentioned, like VS Code or Atlassian, SourceTree, uh, yeah, Kraken, yeah, that's another Git Kraken, yeah, they all can use that um, Git-scm, basically that. Oh, is that how it's working? Oh, boy. yeah, they use I'm that a, under the I'm covers. I'm an idiot. That's <laughs> no, no. This, these are the kind of things we forget about. It's like totally. It's, we forget I just about know how to things. push the buttons now. You know that. That's what. It, what's well, it's, it's baked into our computers these days, most of the time. Santosh. So we're, we've learned a little bit about Git here. We don't necessarily know exactly what it is yet. <laughs> You're going to tell us why we need this thing. But it sounds like you were differentiating between Git and GitHub. GitHub is the cloud service that I access through my browser or through other tools to store my source control. And Git is the tool that I use on my local computer to talk to that. So how do I talk to it? What do I do? Yeah, I mean, uh, so the thing is, you have to, of course, go ahead and, uh, I mean, whatever like uh, provider you are using, whether you are using TFS or GitHub or GitLab, you have to create your account. And once you have created your account, you have to actually, by using, uh, whenever you get or you, you want to get some project, or I mean, clone it on your local machine, or you want to push, you have to actually connect your Git to the provider you have. So you can, of course, go it, uh, do it via GitHub Desktop. I mean, if you want to, GitHub Desktop also has... Okay, like, so let me pause you there again, Sex. You, you introduced a couple of new things for folks. So, well, you talk about GitHub.com, but you also mentioned TFS, 
and you mentioned GitLab, and there's like Bitbucket, and these are all different online source control repositories that you can use Git to talk to, right? Right. Okay, and then you mentioned using uh, doing things like cloning or pushing or pulling or shoving or jamming or you, you you mentioned some other words. What do those things mean? I mean, so yeah, so I mentioned clone and push. So clone is basically getting the code from one of the providers. That's clone, which uh, will download the code from the, uh, of course, the cloud to your local machine. And pushing your code means, I mean, sending whatever changes or whatever code you have available on your local machine back to the cloud. And then you also mentioned that there's some tools that we can use to talk to it. I think you're about to start talking about the tools. Like, like I, I assume you don't just use Git all the time directly from a command line. You you use some kind of a tool? Yes. So um, uh, I, I mostly use GitHub Desktop or I use uh, VS Code integration. So using VS uh, GitHub Desktop, it's really easy. You can just go to, I mean, GitHub Desktop and connect to any provider you have. So it has like really nice login screen, which you can use. And it has UI, right? So it becomes really easy to use. And then you can connect and uh, just see whatever the repositories which are available. So every repository, now we'll come back to that point later. But once you are connected to your account, I mean, of course, you can uh, download your code in case it is available on cloud or you can push your code, which is available on your local machine. So do it via GitHub desktop or you do it via VS Code or just use Git in case you are really comfortable with it. So GitHub desktop and VS Code are like a visual graphical UI or GUI for using Git commands, whereas uh, the terminal is a place you can just type in command line if you don't want to, and they're probably faster that way. So, so basically, I'm, I'm assuming VS Code and GitHub Desktop are just two different kinds of GUIs that you use that are abstractions over the CLI. Exactly. I think that's that's a pretty good starting point for all this, but let's let's go a little practical. Let's say I'm looking at WordBell's favorite repository, Breeze.js, up on his idea blade github.com account. Which for I some reason is not a, in the GSOC program. I no, it's not, that. I know. <laughs> but if I go there, let's say I notice something simple. I'm, I'm going to kind of give away the farm for a second, say one of the best things to start with a, uh, your first contribution is to, you notice a misspelling in a readme or in documentation somewhere, go to that repository and, and fix it. Let's say I want to, I notice that up on github.com slash breeze, which I'm assuming is the correct URL. I'll put that in our show notes. <laughs> um, and that's one of Ward's uh, company's uh, repositories. Let's say I notice misspelling in his readme file there. Like, what, what would the steps be for me to say, I want to make my first contribution and fix the misspelling? Yeah. So, uh, in case, of course, the documentation is one of the things which I always suggest new developers to start with. And once you find something like this, right? So, you bet you have some spelling mistake and you want to open your first pull request. Let me tell you, uh, over the years, just GitHub is actually making it really easy to make sure that developers are able to contribute to open source without facing much of the issues. For example, when I started back in 2019, I had to do everything on command line and all those things. But I'll come to that point how it, it has become easy. Just let, let's start with this, right? So once you find... Yeah, you just told us we needed to install Git and we've got to use terminal and I've got to, you know... To, but maybe we don't have to. But yeah, start. Keep going. So first thing is, of course, you have to fork the repository. You uh, you can just click on fork button. What's which a is fork? A, yeah. So it creates a copy of the original code base, and it will be the copy will be available as part of now your user account, where you can make changes, 
and push the code. So now there are multiple ways to make the changes. Of course, you can clone the code on your local machine, make the changes, push the code back. That's, of course, a little bit complicated process. But let me tell you the easier way, right? So uh, GitHub okay, has... Okay, I'm going to pause again real quick. Forking it is copying it. So you copy Breeze to your repo, Santosh's rep- rep- uh, repository. And you said a repo is a what? Oh, you're going you're going there, are you, John? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're going to... It's funny, you know, it's like... I remember going to Docker when it first came out and reading the the explanation on their main webpage about what a Docker container was. Oh, yeah. Container this, container that. Docker container lets you create containers that contain containers that containerize your Docker container, whatever it was. It was absolutely insane. And this was years ago. Uh, so if we're going to talk about these things, I think we should at least mention, like, what, what exactly is a repository? If I'm, if I'm forking a repository, what does that mean? So it's uh, like it's a workspace, right? So uh, if, if you have to cut the- I mean, if you have to define repository, it's a workspace where you can put your code. So it, there are there that, that's possible that you can push your documentation, you can push your code base, everything into a single workspace. Now you have that copy of workspace available under your own username. So that's a fork which is available now. Awesome. And then once you fork the repository, you mentioned you could clone it. So if I've already forked it and you said it was a copy, mm-hmm. clone sounds like copy. What, what's a clone mean? So clone is getting that copy on your local machine. So that that is cloning process. Now you have available code available on cloud, but you of course need to download on your local machine to run it and test it. So that's where clone comes into the picture. Okay, uh, you're losing me a little because you said I had to create an account. I've got to go to repository. I've got to fork it yeah. to make a copy. And then I've got to clone it to bring it locally to my machine. Maybe you didn't lose me. I think that's where we are, right? Yeah. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps, one of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us. Uh, ideally, we're a consulting company and, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. Okay, so we're about to do this to Breeze, which is Breeze.js, Ward's favorite repository up there. And I've got a misspelling in the readme file. Once I've forked it and cloned it, how do I fix it? Yeah. So now uh, you can open, uh, once code is available on your local machine, you can open it in whatever editor you like. For let's say example, VS Code, right? And uh, you can make, there are multiple ways. Either you can just make the changes into, into that particular branch because whenever you clone, by default, you get the default branch, which is available. So now it can differ because a lot of projects used to use master as their main branch. Now, new projects have most um, uh, actually moved to main. 
So just check whichever branch is available. Now it's up to you whether you want to actually go ahead and make changes into that branch because you anyways have a copy. Or you can, in case you are looking to work on the same project for a longer period of time, what I generally suggest is create branches. So in VS Code, you can just go ahead and right-click. Sorry, not right-click, but click on uh, the bottom tab where you can see the branch name, master or main, and you can create a new branch and then make the changes, push the code, and after that, you have to open up to pull request. Now, pull request is a process where now you, the changes you have made, you want that code to be merged back to the original code base. So that's pull request, which will be opened. And in case you are using GitLab, that's called merge request, MR. So those both terms are same, but in GitHub, we call it as PR and in GitLab, we call it as MR. So Santosh, I want to mention something that I'm sure you're familiar with uh, and I've, no, I've talked about with Ward in the past as well. With GitHub, there's a thing called github.dev, where if I just go to a web page, like I go to Ward's Breeze.js page, let me go there right now, Ward, why not? And all I do inside my browser is I hit the period key or the dot key. It automatically flips me over and she says, setting up your web editor. And it opens up what looks like VS Code inside my browser tab. And the URLs change. So instead of being github.com slash breeze slash breeze.js, and now it says github.dev slash breeze slash breeze.js. And I can actually like open up the readme file right here and I can type in word loves bacon at the bottom of the file. Um, what is this thing? And I didn't have to install anything locally. I didn't have to clone. I didn't have to fork. I didn't have to spoon or knife. Um, yeah. What, what is this? So, uh, as I, as I said, right, I'll, I'll talk about the easiest easiest part later on. So the GitHub has actually, uh, GitHub came up with something called Codespaces last year. And now it has become really easy to actually do any uh, spelling uh, changes, right? So you don't have to follow all the process, clone, fork, and everything. You can just click dot and it will just uh, run a like, server on the cloud for you. And you can make the changes uh, and just open the pull request. That's it. So no installations, nothing local. No, nothing all. required. Can I use a Chromebook? Uh, can I use my iPhone? It it works on browser, right? So you can do it anywhere. <laughs> like, well, actually, iPhone. I don't know. I think you could do that as long as you could hook up some way to use the keyboard with it, right? Like you just have to have a keyboard. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. I've done it on my closing. iPad. <laughs> have you tried that word? I, I sense that you may have tried this on your phone. Uh, I have. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it's not the. It's really not the form factor of choice for that kind of thing. It's not bad for looking, inspecting, but I wouldn't do any work there. Yeah, and in fact, I, I was um, I was at a conference recently, uh, first one I've been to in two years, and Ward was there, and I was uh, tempted with the possibility. I was doing a Code Spaces and GitHub.dev uh, presentation, and I was tempted with using my iPad because I have the keyboard with it to do the entire presentation there, just to show. Look, I don't have Node installed. I could do the whole thing, everything I needed to do to make these changes and run it and build it and everything up in the cloud. Uh, and that was all made possible starting off with uh, GitHub.dev, which is the, it's not code spaces. It's, it's a lightweight version of VS Code in the browser. But you mentioned code spaces. So that seemed, that is the next logical step after that. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So code spaces are like uh, on 
a new tool which is available by GitHub. So uh, generally what we do is whenever you, you we, we want to make some changes to any project, what we do generally is fork that uh, clone that particular repository, but you can just directly open it uh, using uh, the code spaces. So you don't have to like have your own environment. It will just spin up the entire environment on cloud for you and no installation required, nothing. You can just go ahead and uh, run everything in, inside code spaces. You, every, all the packages will be installed and uh, you can just make the changes and just push the code back. So that's if I want to make, if my first contribution is to make a code change, that sounds like a really great way to do it. Um, making a code change though to a sponsored project, um, it could take a while for that to get approved and, and all that. I mean, that's the hard way. Moreover, uh, I have found as a, let me tell you this. I, I, you know, it's an open source provider. I'm sure these other feel like this. Like we love people to contribute, but please don't go whole hog and add this giant feature of your dreams and you didn't tell anybody and suddenly you push it in there and and this and nobody knows it's coming and maybe it conflicts with something that they want to do and everybody is going to be disappointed. So, uh, you know, we started with like fixing a spelling mistake. That's, that's pretty safe. Uh, fixing anything else. I think you, you really want to start with the issues that have been filed with feature, current feature list. You have to become acquainted and you also have to realize that you're playing with others. And uh, some of these people have been at this a long time and you have to be, you know, just like, are you, would you walk into a party and just sort of walk up to the microphone and start singing? I would, but most people would be smarter than that. And they would get to know the people in the room a little bit before they started to take over. And so, uh, it, you know, uh, if you're getting into this, I, I think it's so important to realize that this is, um, this is like entering somebody's house. And you want to do that with respect and find out how you can be useful. And Ward, how, how would you, I mean, I'm, I noticed on Breeze.js, and it's an older repository, so I'm picking on this a little bit, um, where it goes there. How would you recommend that people learn about on your repository or anybody's how to contribute? Like, where do they find this without just calling Ward and figuring out who owns the thing? Well, you know... Um, this is a matter of the repository being a good citizen. And I'll bet everybody in that program that you're talking about has a whole, has a document dedicated to guiding people as to how to contribute. And I have to confess that Breeze is, um, you know, we're just a small group and all that stuff. And we have not, um, we have not followed the, the recommended process of making it easy for people to contribute. So it's obvious when you're correcting a documentation uh, um, thing, but uh, but other things it's it's more challenging. So let's stick to things that are really like the, the programs that you're talking about, Angular and among others. Um, they have very good doc, right? They have good documentation on how to do how to contribute and and what's expected, right? Would that be that would be true for every program every program that was supported in 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 this GSOC thing, right? Yeah, I think a lot of those programs support that. And just for folks uh, listening to the show, I've dropped a lot of links into the things we're talking about. Santosh has laid a lot of information down. And the last thing I dropped the link into is how to create a good documentation guideline as for your own repository uh, yeah. with like a contributing markdown file, for example. But 
Which we should do with Breeze. (laughs) Yeah, well, we we should all have it. Even if you don't want contributions, which some projects, it's okay to say, I don't want contributions. But having that file at least tells people, look, this is my thing. And, you know, I don't really. go away. (laughs) 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 But Santosh, when you're making these contributions, like let's say we were continuing that row with with the Breeze when we were going to do a readme file change. You walked us through what we do locally. But what if we use that github.dev option where we hit the period? How would we make the spelling change there and then um, give it back to Ward's company uh, without giving away the words here? <laughs> yeah, so it uh, it opens a web editor, right? So you can actually go ahead and make the changes and let me... And, um, yeah. What's nice is we can actually do this live as, as we're going through it because it's it's that fast, which is cool. There's no installation. There's no... You just need a internet connection yeah now so uh, i just added like let's say you went to this web editor now you made some changes and uh, you have to of course go ahead and save it and it, it it's like in case you have used vs code it's same right so as as uh, john mentioned it's like the uh, web version of your lightweight version of your uh, vs code which is available and you get the uh, git panel on the left side where you will see how many files you have changed and you can just go ahead and uh, enter the commit message, whichever you want to. Everything from the uh, the editor itself. You don't have to go ahead and write any command. You can just go ahead and see how many files you have changed. Enter the message. Let's say I just I just did it. So I just uh, made some changes to one file and did a commit. Now it uh, it says now you are trying to make changes to project. You don't have write access. Do you want to fork this repository? So it tells you right, that okay. you, you don't have access to Word's yeah. Breeze repo. So right. you can't just start editing his stuff, right? right. So it's right. telling you, hey, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, now you can create a fork and it gives you, like, it opens a pop-up and says whatever branch you want to give. So it will create now the same fork, which we mentioned that you can click on fork button. You can just do it from here. So uh, you can just give whatever uh, branch name you want to give and that's it. So you have your fork available. Now you have to just switch back to fork. In case you are already in fork, you will not get this message. You can just, uh, I mean, start editing and start, uh, push your code. That's that's absolutely fine. But in case you go to a re- new repository where you don't have access, it will prompt you. The good thing is it will prompt you. So you don't have to worry about it. So right online, I can make this change. I added some white space, for example, to a readme file. Uh, I can then commit those changes. Commit is exactly what it sounds like. It's a yeah. save. Uh, and I use the tool online to press the commit button. It shows me right here. And then it says, hey, you don't have rights. Would you like to fork it, which you taught us is a copy. So it's going to create a copy of Breeze under my GitHub account, under John Papa. And then at that point, the tool is going to prompt me and say, would you like to make, and here's the big word I didn't understand when I first got into Git, pull request. Would you like to make a pull request, which... Okay, at this point, all I know is I've got the main repository, which is Breeze, which is Ward's company. I don't work for them. I don't have access to that. And then I have my repository, a copy of Breeze under John Papa slash BreezeJS. And now it's telling me I've got these two copies. I want to kind of merge my copy into theirs. But it's not saying merge or save or submit. It's saying make a pull request. I don't want to pull anything. What What is this? Yeah, I mean, you are not... Uh, pulling anything, but that's, it's, I mean, yeah, you know, the term is really confusing. So it's like the parent repository, right? The main repository where you are going to merge that, I mean, push your code. It will be pulling your code, right? So because once you 
uh, merge back the changes, it's like that must that main main project which we have, it will be pulling the code from your branch. That's that's I think that's how this is named as pull request. If I'm not wrong. Okay, so you, if I hear you correct, would it be fair to say that the main repository in this case, Ward's Breeze JS repository, I'm asking it, I'm requesting that it pull my changes into its repository. Okay, that's what a pull request is. Um, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, some of these terms, it's funny. We just start calling things what they are. It's like you know, hey, Ward, would you like to make a Xerox of that? You know, or <laughs> remember we used to call copies yeah. Xerox. <laughs> you forget the meaning of the word sometimes. You use them so long. <laughs> hey, Santosh, this was a lot of fun to to talk about some of these things with you, and and I hope it was useful for for folks out there to kind of go down this road a little bit. There's so much that you can do with with Git and, and contributing, and I'd like to kind of leave this on a note for everybody of why you know why would somebody want to do any of this? Like, why did you get involved? I noticed you contribute a lot. And I think, you know, you didn't start out, I imagine saying, I'm going to go contribute to NGRX and Angular and all the other things that you're contributing to, because uh, I just want to contribute to them. Well, I mean, what got you, it seems like you got the bug, meaning you got really excited about it and kept on going. What got you excited about this? And what would you leave our audience with? Yeah, actually, uh, so it's it's really long story, I would say. So it, it was back in 2017 when I started teaching Angular. So there was an institute where I started teaching because I wanted to, like, uh, that that at that time, of course, it was just because of money. And then I got a job as well in Angular. And then I realized by end of 2017 that, okay, what I'm doing here? So I'm getting everything for free. I learned Angular for free. I mean, of course, from the courses by you and Deborah Krata, ma'am. So I thought, I mean, that even that subscription was given to my uh, given to me by my company. I said, look, I made F my career out of it, and what I'm doing, I'm just using it for free. So that's where everything like uh, I realized that I'm doing something wrong, and then I thought of contributing back. Then the question was how, and believe me, I just ended up wasting my entire year, 2018 because of multiple reasons, but one of the reasons was I was not able to figure out what, how to contribute and where to contribute. And then and end of 2018, I realized that the entire community is on Twitter. I was just looking at uh, looking at the wrong place. So uh, I uh, started using my uh, Twitter account and I also came to know uh, about one conference which was happening in India in 2019. I went to that conference and I met uh, a lot of people there. I met uh, Vikram, Vikram Subramaniam, who was actually working on Angular Sierra team. So I spoke to him, like, how we contribute to Angular. So he said, look, you can create videos, you can create uh, contents, you can write blog posts. I was like, no, my, I actually, I want to contribute to the GitHub repository, which is available. Because when I saw in, 20, in 2018, when I actually opened that uh, uh, branch, or sorry, uh, when I opened the repository of Angular, one thing which was missing is, I realized that there is no one from India in top 100 contribute. That was my goal. So I said, I said to myself that I will be there one day and I'll be the first one from India to make it. And that uh, somehow Vikram said, okay, uh, you can start with documentation. And I was like, okay, that's, uh, I think that is something I can do. I mean, I've been teaching Angular from two years. I know a uh, few things and I know few things can be improved because I, I used to read Angular documentation a lot. So I said, okay. And then I went home and I started looking for issues. I couldn't, found, uh, couldn't find any. 
luckily i came up, i mean i was aware of ngrx project as well because uh, one of my friends said it's a, it's a really good project in case you are looking for state management and i was like okay i went to that repository and i have one thing i was exploring just in my project was schematics angular schematics and i came across a issue which said schematics and i was like okay let's let's pick this issue and see what uh, i can do and uh, i went uh, i picked the issue and then then i was like okay what if i'm i won't be able to do it so i ended up doing entire day i was just doing research how what what can be changed and what to change and i found found the uh, api which is which needs to be replaced and that's it so 28 february i still remember the dates because it was like uh, achievement for me i have like worked in industry for 10 years did nothing and on 28 feb i just went there and raised my first uh, pull request for ngrx and when it was merged i was like over the cloud and then i started like doing prs for almost every project which i could see that that's how it started for me that's a pretty awesome story actually to to listen to how how you get started with all that and i know for me i i got started because my company was using Git and GitHub commands, and actually we were using five or six different open source, not open source, but source control uh, tools at the time, some of which I've clearly forgotten the names uh, <laughs> in the meantime, because it's been years. But I remember actually we were evaluating all these different um, source control providers and trying to figure out which ones we were going to use. Uh, and I had to learn all the commands for different ones. Uh, and Git just felt more natural. To me, although at the time I was very happy to use a tool really? by Atlassian called Source Tree. So, Source Tree is what made it really nice for me is that visualization of what's actually happening under the covers. Because I don't know what a pull, a clone, a fork, and a spoon and a knife are. I mean, who made up these names? <laughs> Somebody at Git made up these names and uh, they made sense, I'm sure, at a time, but not to me. So, yeah, I would say that it is the least intuitive. Lexicon I've ever run across in a piece of software that I regularly use. Um, it simply was better and more powerful than all the other source control. Uh, and once you get your arms around it, it also feels safer. Like at this point, I feel like I can, I, I don't, I'm not really at risk of breaking anything. I can get back to wherever I was, no matter what I did. Um, but to get to that point, um, that was not easy. That was not easy. I say I kind of liken what you're saying to we've talked about and, and kind of joked about RxJS in the past word on the show, but how we all use it. But there's probably I'm making up a number five to ten commands in RxJS you actually really need to live by and know to use the tool, not the hundred and some that exist in the API. I, I kind of feel like that with with Git as well, like. If you know some of the things that Santosh mentioned. Yeah, I, I would say GitHub, Git is actually harder than RxJS, but it's more useful. <laughs> so. Yes, but you don't need to know every command with Git either. You like know what a repository is, know what cloning is, uh, know what committing and pulling and pushing are. I think, you know, we didn't mention pushing, Santosh. You want to explain quickly what a push is? Yeah. So I, yeah, once you made uh, you have made the changes to uh, the code base, what you can do is you can uh, provide a commit message. So make sure that you have like explainable commit message, uh, which you can commit saves your changes. Yeah, yeah, your changes. You are explaining the changes what you have made. That's commit message, and uh, you can again do it via whatever tool you like. You can do it via git command, or you can just use GitHub Desktop or VS Code, and then you have to uh, send your 
code back to the cloud. That's pushing your code. That command actually makes sense to me. Like commit and push made sense to me. Uh, the pull request word was weird for me when I was looking at it. And when you get into the things like, and we're not going to get into it here, like rebasing and stuff like that. It's like... <laughs> and squashing and all that. Yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, and reordering. That's where it gets fun. <laughs> Maybe on a future episode, we can kind of get into some of these more advanced get commands and, and kind of what they can do. And some of them aren't really that advanced. It's just, I think there's a there's a mystical aura around what some of them actually do. And until you learn them, uh, they become kind of like, what is this? But really, I do think you're right. Like commit, push, pull, clone. I, I think those are the ones that you really need to know uh, to be able to kind of function with Git commands. Would, would you agree, Santosh? Yes, exactly. Santosh, thank you so much for bringing all this to our attention, to our audience uh, as well. I think it's fun to kind of go down this road and and... It's been fun for me, at least, because I'm getting to remember all the things that I did a while ago with this, with these tools. Uh, and I actually had never installed the GitHub desktop client until just now. So I'm going to go give that a try. Really? So yeah, today, I, yeah. I, I heard of it, I, but you know, I use VS Code or the terminal. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to go give that a try and see and see what that's all about. But give it a shot if you want to do it. <laughs> I rely on Siri to do all my Git commands. You laugh, but that's that's a thing. You know, you can. Is do it that. really a thing? Yeah, oh, you can connect Siri to actually run your commands. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh! Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Santosh, and I want to thank all of you for listening to us for so many episodes of Web Rush, the podcast, and in so many incarnations because we used to be called Real Talk JavaScript as well. We've expanded into other web topics too. And thank you to all of our sponsors for keeping us on the air. Uh, today, especially IdeaBlade for letting us uh, take advantage of using Breeze.js as the main repository. Ward, thank you. And then also to Narwhal for keeping us up there a lot with their great tools like NX and Ionic for their wonderful capacitor and mobile development tools that they have and, and their uh, services in open source. And then also to AG Grid for being our longest running sponsor for this show with just the wonderful tools and grids that they create for software yeah. applications. So, and John, we got to tell them by the time they hear this, it's going to be 2022. It will be 2022. So happy new year, everyone. Yes. And I hope you all have a much, much improved year over the previous year. No matter how good your 2021 was or poor, I hope your 2022 is even better. Thank you all for listening to yet another week of this web rush. And you'll hear from us every Thursday morning. See you next time.